Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Victoria Butenko. She is the award-winning author of Green for Life, Green Smoothie Revolution, Raw Family, 12 Steps to Raw Foods, and Raw Family Signature Dishes. A raw gourmet chef, teacher, inventor, researcher, and artist, Victoria is a mother of three and teaches classes on healthy living all over the world. And as a result of her teachings, millions of people are drinking green smoothies and eating raw food. Today, we'll also talk about her charming new book for children called Green Smoothie Magic. So welcome, Victoria. So glad you could join us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, you have been advocating raw foods for a long time. I remember taking a raw cooking class for you here in Portland. I think it must have been 10 or 12 years ago. I'm wondering what changes you've seen in public attitudes towards food and eating during that time. Um, I've seen, Miriam, that there are more people interested in healthy eating right now. However, uh, the food industry also activated its effort uh, to change our foods, uh, the colors, the textures, and genetic basis of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But people are becoming more and more educated, and um, they begin to understand how important it is to eat natural food, as natural as possible, rather than processed. Absolutely. Uh, they They talk about when you go into the supermarket to just go around the periphery uh, to visit just the, the natural food uh, places because I really sometimes feel that most of those supermarket shelves are a real food and nutrition desert. And uh, you're doing your best to change that. Exactly. So. I'm doing my best to educate people, to awake them in understanding that the food industry is not our friend, it's our competitor. And we need to stand for ourselves, think with our own brains, and foremost important, to educate our children. Because who would be taking place of Obama, Cameron, uh, David Cameron, and Vladimir Putin in 20, 30 years? That would be our today's children. And mm-hmm. what will they feed us when we'll be elderly? And uh, what kind of decisions they'll make about GMOs and uh, organic food? and diet and what we see in our supermarkets depends on how we educate our children today. I understood this when I had my two uh, grandchildren and I saw how they bombarded with TV commercials and I looked it up. Um, the number of 30-second TV commercials seen in a year by an average child in America is 20,000 commercials. Hmm. What can we uh, counteract? Uh, like, what can we put in competition with this virtually nothing well i have to say that my grandkids avoid anything green and they think ketchup is a vegetable oh my goodness but uh, i recall that you got into raw foods in order to deal with health issues that you and your family had what was going on then exactly because my father was a pharmacist i believed in pills uh, to be a magic and I knew very well, I thought so, what to take for each ailment. Whenever I had a headache or mood swing or anything, I would just take a pill. And uh, finally, 
when we immigrated to the United States in 1990, we started to become very sick very quickly, and I didn't understand why. I thought maybe we were uh, having too much stress. And we became so sick, um, I developed arrhythmia. That's the disease that took my father's life. And my husband had a rheumatoid arthritis, and my daughter developed asthma, and my um, younger son had uh, diabetes. Wow. So, and we didn't even have enough money and health insurance to cover all the expenses the doctors said we would have to stand up to. And um, so I decided to look for alternative. And that's how I found raw food. I was searching and searching and searching and discovered and discovered so many things, read books, whatever I could find at that time. It's been almost 20 years now. In Next year, I will be celebrating 20 years of raw food. Hmm. Well, but I'm not 100% raw food anymore because I don't think it has to be 100%. And I've written a book about this called Raw and Beyond. We've been on raw food diet for over 10 years, but then we started to develop some deficiencies, and we understand that uh, we were eating way too many nuts uh, because we were consuming nuts for the sake of calories, mm-hmm. and it was not a good choice. And now, um, instead of nuts, I'm taking some cooked food for, for the calories, and I reduced nuts to very, very minimal. When you were having your problems with nuts, were you soaking the nuts first? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Still, there was too much omega-6 in them. And in two of my books, I um, describe the situation uh, with deficiency of omega-3s that are very important and uh, over-excess of consumption of omega-6s. In the Green for Life book and in Raw and Beyond book, I have tables that I have calculated myself of the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s. For example, it was a revelation for me that almonds contain 2,000 times more omega-6 than omega-3s. And so we all um, overconsume um, omega-6s, and too much omega-6 in our body causes diabetes, obesity, and cancer, while um, not having enough omega-3s causes problems with heart and nervous system and depression. Uh, and so I have ad- adjusted my diet now, and the most importantly, in 2004, I have pre-created I the first in my life a green smoothie. I actually invented the green smoothie in September 2004, and uh, then I've written several books about green smoothies. And I find it to be the easiest way for children to consume enough of uh, fruits and vegetables. Make that children and husbands. <laughs> yeah, children, husband, anybody, and even ourselves. <laughs> the green smoothies are the easiest, most uh, uh, delicious palatable way to consume greens in the world. Well, give us a typical recipe for your green smoothies. Mm-hmm. A typical recipe is spinach, banana, and the water. Mm-hmm. However, today I have added pineapple guava to my smoothie, and it made it so unusually delicious and gave it such a tropical zing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a combination of fruits and greens with water. And yes. you're using the fruits to essentially enhance the flavor of the greens and kind of slip them under the radar of children who turn their nose up at anything green. Yes. Uh, first of all, I call greens something that you can fold around your finger. So it's a cucumber, and, uh, zucchini, cucumber is okay, but zucchini wouldn't be, or broccoli wouldn't be as good because they contain starch and they could, uh, when they bl- blended with fruit, they might cause... Um, 
uh, floating, uh, mm-hmm. like bloating. Mm-hmm. So it's green leaves and the fruits, and we want to pick up creamy fruits like uh, bananas, mangoes, peaches, pears. Uh, the worst would be pineapple, apple, and grapes because you can still drink them and they will be delicious, but they will have a froth on top of them and they will separate immediately when you put the cup on. Um, but anyways, all the green smoothies are very, very delicious. And it's very important to introduce it to children in a very positive manner. If your children already uh, have reaction to green, negative reaction to green, then you can dim the light and make a sh- what I call a shot <laughs> in the dark. Uh, and don't tell them it's green smoothie. Tell them it's something dessert, delicious. And uh, when they try it and they say, wow, this is so good, uh, then you can openly say that it's a green smoothie. Well, I'm... I often wished when I was a mother of young children that I could blindfold them during dinner because all they had to do is look at something new that they didn't recognize and they would turn up their little noses. So um, you kind of based your approach to raw eating on the chimpanzee. Why is that? Uh, one time I was confused at what is the right way to eat, and I didn't understand why I developed deficiencies on what I was thinking was the best diet in the world, the raw food diet. And because there were so many conflicting theories, and there, the whole ocean of books that I've been reading and reading, and I got more and more confused, I decided to find one uh, animal or creature in the world that resembles humans uh, genetically the most. And just to see what that, hum- what that animal eats and to see if that gives us an idea. And out of all animals, I found the chimpanzees, they share 99.5% of the same uh, sequences of genes. Not just genes, but sequences of genes with humans. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm saying that we are the same species, but I'm saying that if we have so many genes in common, can our diet be 99.4% similar? And when I looked at the diet, I was shocked to see that half of the chimpanzee diet uh, consists of fruit, which was not a surprise to me. But then in the other 40% was green leaves and then a little bit of uh, insect, a little bit of bark and peas and seeds. That's all. So uh, the greens, I was totally amazed. And um, I calculated that based on that ratio, we're supposed to eat anywhere from half a pound to one pound of greens per day. So if we eat them in the form of a salad, that has to be a pound of greens per day. If you blend it, it's enough to have half a pound because when you blend them, uh, the body absorbs them more completely. Mm -hmm. They become more bioavailable because you break the cellular structure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because you break the, the cell wall and uh, from the inside of the cell, your body can absorb that uh, nutritious substance, uh, the, the live juice. Well, um, to play the devil's advocate, actually, I was reading a study done by Jane Goodall um, in Tanzania who observed that chimpanzees actually may kill and eat more than 150 small animals each year, such as monkeys, wild pigs, and antelopes. And, and in fact, um, hominids, you know, the, the hunter-gatherer, has been eating uh, meat for two and a half million years. So why do you feel so strongly that we should move to a more vegetarian diet? 
Well, first of all, in her books, uh, Jane Goodall said that uh, the, the chimpanzees mostly kill um, meat. It's like a hunting game, like protecting the territory's boundaries. And secondly, I don't uh, say anymore that everybody in the world should be 100% vegan. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I could constantly look for more uh, interesting way of learning about food. And uh, last years I've been visiting the territories on our planet that um, have clusters of centenarians, people who are over 100 years old. And, for example, in July of 2013, uh, my two children and I visited northern Siberia, Ooh. where uh, there are 80 centenarians per thousand uh, people over 60. So there's a very, very high concentration of centenarians living there. In the area where there is permanent frost, where nothing but grass grows, it's in tundra, uh, you have to build houses on stilts because it's a permanent frost. And so these people are eating mostly uh, animal food, and they still live to be 105, 115 years old. So I think that it still needs to be more research done. There has to be more scientific studies uh, because it's, it's, it's a mystery. I, this trip made lots of holes in all of my theories. And mm -hmm. I understand that we want to be humans and everything, but there are some facts that we cannot overrun by just saying, well, let's just not eat, the, not, let's not just not hurt animals. With this, I'm not promoting a eating animals. I, I, um, I'm vegan except of honey right now. But I think that I am nobody to tell everybody in the world that they need to eat fruits and vegetables. Uh, it has to be more studies done. Maybe that the closer people live to um, equator, they must be vegetarians. The further they live from equator and the less they have sunshine, and the less vegetation they have, maybe they, can, they, they, maybe they have to include some um, live, high quality, some, some, uh, some pieces of animal foods in the diet. But it's just my theory. I am nobody to tell you. Mm -hmm. Well, that, actually, that makes a lot of sense because uh, some of the critical vitamins like vitamin A, vitamin D are fat-soluble. Not only this, not only this, there are also, uh, in the very last few years, the scientists discovered things like vitamin K2 mm -hmm. and um, uh, certain, like choline and uh, certain, certain vitamins, certain nutrients that are uh, crucial. And unless people live in lots of sunshine, it's very hard for them to, for the body to create that or to get this from anywhere. So, as, as I say, it has to be, we need to have more information to make any decisions. But I'm lucky to live in a sunny southern Oregon, 15 miles from California border, so I don't have that problem. But if I will have to move to live to Iceland or Norway or northern Siberia, I think I will, will have to change my attitude to that. Otherwise, I will very quickly extinct or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually, you just have to move four hours north to Portland in the winter. <laughs> you have the same problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, Portland is still pretty south in comparison to places where there is six months of the year is darkness. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah.
Now, um, what are the differences between um, your smoothies and perhaps juices made from the same ingredients? Uh, there are many differences. I don't really say that juice is not uh, good for you or there is no place for juice, and I like juice, in the, especially in the summer myself. However, you cannot really feel sustained with the juice. As soon as I drink juice within 20 minutes, I feel hungry because it doesn't have fiber in it. And mm -hmm. when you consume smoothie, it's more like a complete meal, and it sustains you for three, four hours easily. Also, the um, antioxidants are, are located in the fiber. So whenever you remove uh, the fiber, uh, that's why the juice becomes brown and bitter very quickly. It oxidizes much faster. Yeah. Uh, and if you drink it in the form of smoothie, the smoothie could stay up to three days in the fridge and still be bright green, and it doesn't uh, change the um, the quality of it. Although, uh, fresh, of course, is always better, but I mean, I often make smoothie and it's, I drink it during the day or even next morning. Mm -hmm. uh, you cannot do it with juice. It will be absolutely non-edible. Uh, and um, I think we also need fiber. Fiber is essential for elimination um, because we live in a toxic world. Uh, oh gosh, you don't even know how many toxins we have, even in our tap water, until you one time take your water and distill it and see and smell all of this uh, gunk that is in, in that distiller. It's amazing. It's dark brown residue there with the multiple uh, kind of drug smell and chlorine and bromine and who knows what. And so Without fiber, we cannot really uh, clean our body's sewage system, which is a colon. Mm -hmm. uh, our digestive tract, uh, it, it could be cleaned all, only with fiber. Without fiber, uh, you, you cannot really clean it. So fiber is important. Mm -hmm. And there is one controversy. Somebody uh, said that, one scientist said that uh, when fiber is blended to small particles that it uh, stops working. Actually, I've done, um, I've, I've looked around and I found some research that says that it actually is working better when it's blended. <laughs> so that's not true. Well, also, uh, they, they have forms of sol uh, soluble fiber, like oatmeal is soluble fiber, and that's still beneficial, and Metamucil is soluble fiber. So I, I yes. think... Yeah. There are two kinds of fiber, soluble and insoluble, and both of them present in uh, fruits and vegetables and greens. Uh, and uh, I think the king of fiber is mango because mango has seven grams of fiber in one fruit and it contains both soluble and insoluble. Really? And soluble actually ensures the good texture, perfect texture. It's really silky, thoroughly mm -hmm. blended, and it doesn't separate. Mm. So um, obviously mango is high on your list of desirable additions to your smoothie. What are your other favorites? ingredients for a smoothie? Um, well, I, currently I'm using lots of persimmons. They're mm -hmm. excellent for smoothie. And of course mm -hmm. you have to look for uh, ripe persimmon or for your persimmons, otherwise they're astringent. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that the quality of produce in the United States is not the best in the world. Even in Canada it is better. I don't know why is it happening, but I'm very, very sorry about this because I've written a book um, for children that's called fruits I love, which consists of beautiful rhymes of 
uh, little poems for children about different fruits and, and kiwis or sweet and uh, figs, and I don't remember them by heart, but... Uh, what happened is when children read my book and they say, Mommy, let's go buy kiwi. And then they go to the supermarket and they buy kiwi and it's sour and it's hard as a rock and children don't understand. Is this author lying when she says that kiwi is sweet <laughs> and soft? And it's like so common that, uh, so, um, for example, even 20 years ago when I first came to America, I remember the apples had different flavor, different texture, and different names, and now they pick up only the sorts, the varieties of apple that could stay, uh, could, um, has a long sorts. shelf life. Yeah. yeah, yes, and they really, not the fragrant, the most fragrant, not the most delicious ones. If you think about this, like a, a pink crisp or pink lady, and this uh, Fuji, well, it's okay, they're sweet, but they could be better. Mm-hmm. And again, you go to Canada, you eat that Macintosh and others that you cannot find them anymore, anymore in the United States. And so, um, I, I, first of all, I say you have to find what is ripe and what is organically grown. We don't need those pesticides in our bodies. And preferably non-GMO. I cannot believe we, we, we missed voting for GMO labeling in Oregon. I just don't understand how it could happen. So we do need to uh, choose the best quality, and we need to teach our children uh, that uh, uh, fresh produce has to be high quality, and it's our health. I was even introducing green smoothies in Russian tundra in Siberia, and people loved it because (laughs) we were just uh, cutting grass, and Mm -hmm. we were blending uh, apples, crab apples with grass and making our green smoothies there and they loved it. Mm. Well, I, I noticed that you recommend uh, a lot of greens that gardeners here would consider weeds like dandelion and, and lamb's quarters and so on. Um, yes, yes, Miriam. Uh, those are for sure the original foods. Those are for sure the foods that are non-GMO and they're organic and they're free and what could be better during the time of recession that's free food abundance (laughs) of it you do caution that people should absolutely know what they're picking before they put it in their blender absolutely you know you need to figure out what you're eating um i i always recommend that you learn a dozen of well-known uh weeds such as dandelions or um, chamomile or clover that you know beyond doubt what it is Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's necessary. We need to learn that, and we need to teach our children. Today's children know the difference between smartphone and iPhone or between Mazda and Mercedes, but they cannot uh, tell uh, dandelion from clover. And uh, I think if we move back to that direction, into that direction, that will be very healthy, both for children and for us, again, because today's children are going to be taking care of us when we get older. We need to remember that. We depend on them. Let's teach our children. And there is no books for children. There's no high-quality books. When I've seen that there's really no books written for children about health, I decided I'm going to do some books, and I created five books. And because I'm a professional publisher, so I held a contest on the best artist, and I've created really nice stories, uh, not preachy. I uh-huh. wanted them to be entertaining, and I've done five children's books, and I already received lots of 
comments from parents all over the world that their children, when they like to read it again and again, and after they read it, they, they ask the parents, let's go make green smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must say that your latest book, The Green Smoothie Magic, is quite delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's based on a true story. It's my grandson, Nick, depicted there, and my granddaughter, Lily, and uh, mm-hmm. my son, uh, Stefan, who is their dad, who is the pilot, and their mother. It's all true story, and that it was easy to write. Uh-huh. And your, your illustrator is very, um, very sweet as well. I like the, the pictures. So I, I, can, I can understand why children would enjoy your book. And it is a... a it's a, it's a form of brainwashing, but it's, uh, you know, fair dues, considering, as you mentioned at the beginning, all of the commercials that we have to contend with. Absolutely, yes. And um, there is a big difference between classical literature and bestseller. And uh, I've looked up in Miriam uh, Webster's dictionary that classic literature is written by the best uh, representatives of, hum- of human race. And... It touches our heart and stays uh, with us for centuries. The bestseller, on the other hand, is something that is sells best today. And so what do really we want to read and read to our children? What is bestseller or what is classics? And mm-hmm. classics is something like um, uh, books about Pinocchio and Lame Duck, uh, just something that has a moral in it. And today uh, there are lots of bestsellers pushing the classics out and uh, what is bestseller is something that is kind of irritating uh, their brain, kind of um, in stimulating their like detectives at best, or stories about zombies, or uh, <laughs> really some bloody uh, stories oh, that is adventurous or something. It's, if you look at Amazon and uh, type the best books of the month, you know what will come at the first like uh, two or three uh, positions. No. It's a Lego manual. It's not even a story. It's a Lego manual. It's a best-selling from Amazon books for children. I mean, this just doesn't make no sense. Oh, Victoria, that's uh, getting getting really deep into... Uh, really, uh, in a way, it's all connected. Yeah. Um, because when you talk about... Uh, you know, fast foods and uh, convenience foods instead of uh, fresh, uh, living, uh, fresh from the market, local uh, food that uh, you prepare with love for your children. It um, it really is a commentary on our civilization. Um, I, I remember interviewing Mima McCormick a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, I tell my children it's all right if they don't go to a few more, uh, you know, ballet classes and sports and things, but they stay at home with me in the kitchen and help prepare dinner and learn um, what family time is, learn what preparing food with love is all about. So um, I, I really welcome you and all of the writers who are urging us to wake up and go back to nourishing our bodies as well as our hearts and minds. Yes, yes. Uh, We need to nourish our body. We need to understand that food 
is nourishment. We cannot possibly nourish our body with the macaroni and pasta uh, or something, uh, white bread. Uh, it, has to, it has to be full of nutrients. Uh, we cannot even just uh, take a big cheesecake and just put one strawberry on top. It has to be lots of strawberry with just a teaspoon of uh, uh, dessert on top. We have to <laughs> nourish, and then also we need to detox. It's important. No. Nourishment and detox is the prescription for health. You know, when you got sick, uh, you started studying and taking your health into your own hands. You know, it's taking responsibility for your own health and finding out why you got sick and how you can get better. So um, it really is incumbent upon all of us to make that investment in our own health and, and educate ourselves like by reading books like yours thank you yes uh, and watching um the animals in nature how they behave uh and see what works uh, yeah. for example you don't have to believe me uh you just drink uh, one cup or one quart better of green smoothie every day for two weeks and just see how you feel and you begin to feel so wonderful that many people say, I didn't even know I could feel that, that good. This is the education. This is true education. And then you just keep going with this or you just go back to being sick. Now, uh, nutrition, yeah. Now, you do recommend rotating the greens in your smoothie from day to day. Why is that? Yes. Greens are the most nutritious part of nature. And nature has its own ways of pre uh, preventing extinction. If um, uh, nature didn't put a little bit of poison in each green leaf, then um, the deer would come and eat the entire lilac plant or then go and eat the entire um, some other bush, uh, and it will extinct. Because nature uh, put a little bit of alkaloids, a tiny, it's a minute amount, it's a homeopathic amount of alkaloids in every little green leaf. Then when you watch the goat or cow or horse, they don't eat the whole plant. They eat a nibble of one and go to another. They constantly rotate. This way, we cannot be poisoned, and the nature stays safe. So um, for this reason, I say rotate at least seven greens. For example, uh, use spinach today in your smoothie, then tomorrow use kale, then uh, next day use chard, and next day use parsley, and so on. And then you can go back to spinach. Mm -hmm. And because uh, spinach has a little bit of nicotine in it, it's alkaloid nicotine, and parsley has a little bit of arsenic. But again, those are minute amount. And if you uh, just eat a smoothie with parsley, it's not going to hurt you. But if you'll be using only parsley for six months, it will accumulate, and then you'll begin to feel like frostbite and tingling in your fingers. That's the first symptom of slightly being poisoned. For this reason, I just urge and recommend, please rotate your greens. But you don't have to rotate your fruit. Fruits don't ever have any poison in them because fruits are for us. Can you believe it? Uh, plants create fruit so we can help them spread the seeds. And that is why only when the seeds are ripe, the fruit becomes fragrant, uh, bright colored, and uh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've noticed that our slugs know exactly the point at which the fruits and vegetables are ripe. Oh, the slugs is a good sign. That means that your fruit is not toxic. <laughs> Somehow that is a very little 
consolation, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's important that if you see the uh, occasionally warm a bug in your fruit, that's a good sign. Uh-huh. When you see no and no no um, bugs, uh, no no insects, even no fruit flies, that's a bad sign. You yeah, w- you shouldn't eat that fruit. Yeah, interesting. Now I, I remember uh, a few months ago uh, reading an article by um, Michio Kaku, I think, mm-hmm. about um, genetically modified forests, mm-hmm. where they were creating, because they're connected down through the root system, they were actually creating deserts where no living thing was able to survive. All mm-hmm. the bugs, the microorganisms all died off. Yes. And it's, it's a frightening prospect because you're, you're, you're killing um, the whole ecosystem around it in this kind of blinkered, approach to uh, timber, uh, we have to understand that we are connected to each other, to the, to the, the ecosystem. Yes. We're part of a whole. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, exactly. Um, I just remember an anecdote I heard. Um, the man um, prays to God and he says, God, I have created my own humans from dirt. And God looks back at the human and says, get your own dirt. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, Victoria, uh, where do people go to find out more about your appearances, your work? Uh, Well, uh, to, to get my books, very easy. You go to Amazon. It has all of my books. And uh, appearances at rawfamily.com. Thank you for asking. Rawfamily.com. Very yes. good. Okay. So, um, what uh, would you like to leave our listeners with? Uh, some words of wisdom. Uh, the word, uh, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't trust anybody. Uh, think for yourself and follow your heart. Ah, very nice, very nice. And don't forget your green smoothies. Enjoy your green smoothies. <laughs> Make one today and then you'll never stop. If, you, if it doesn't taste good, go to our Botanical Films on YouTube. And uh, Valya has created a movie set, How to Make Green Smoothie Good Every Time. Well, I actually have a poster of your green smoothies up on my refrigerator. I've had it there for years. Well, that's helpful. Yeah. Yep. yep. So um, remember, the what is it, therawfamily.com? Rawfamily.com. Uh, uh, Rawfamily.com. Rawfamily.com. Okay. Well, we've been speaking with Victoria Butenko. She's the author of Raw and Beyond and the author of Green Smoothie Magic. Victoria, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Miriam, uh, thank you so much for having me. Everybody enjoy your green smoothies. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now we move from green smoothie magic to the magic of quantum jumps. Our next guest, Cynthia Sue Larson, presents a radical new scientific paradigm that is gaining traction 
namely that we exist in an interconnected holographic multiverse in which we literally jump from one parallel universe to another. Cynthia has a BA in physics from Berkeley and an MBA. She's a transformational speaker, best-selling author, and life coach, and her passion is inspiring people to become conscious reality shifters. She's been featured on TV and radio, including the Discovery and History channels, Coast to Coast AM, and the BBC. A central question in her new book, Quantum Jumps, is how good can it get? So, let's find out. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. It's a pleasure to have you. And I am very curious about Quantum Jumps. Now, what inspired you to write this book? Oh, that's a great question. I've been fascinated for a long time, actually more than 10 years, with the concept about consciousness changing the physical world. And I've been receiving reports from around the world from people who've um, noticed synchronicities and spontaneous remission of disease and just really weird coincidences and things appearing and disappearing, all kinds of what you might call reality shifts. Um, And that's been interesting for a number of years. But what really caught my attention just in the last year or two was a number of scientific studies that were coming out with evidence that shows that the quantum effects that we often see in the realm of the very, very small where quantum particles can do strange things like um, act like they're connected with one another when they're separated they're a great distance so if you measure one then the other one responds um, and also it's called entanglement and there's also this weird concept in quantum physics that things can be in a simultaneous state of several conditions at once like the famous Schrodinger's cat that's both alive and dead and what's been happening recently, just in the last few years, is that thanks to a big gold rush uh, to build the first quantum computers, there have been scientific laboratory demonstrations of quantum effects on a macroscopic scale so that we now have diamonds that you can hold in your hands that can be entangled with one another. Really? Yes. <laughs> so that's, this is the kind of thing that really caught my attention. And I thought, okay, now if that's happening, this is very much like saying that what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. You know, in other words, and that is kind of true. <laughs> it used to be like, oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And that's like what happens in the quantum realm stays in the quantum realm. Well, not so fast. Actually, uh, we're now seeing evidence of quantum phenomena all the way to the very, very largest in the universe. So when we do astronomy, we have to account for quantum effects in astronomy. So, in other words, we're looking at the possibility of many uh, parallel universes existing outside our own, and we're finding evidence of that. Just when we look at the cosmic background radiation of the Big Bang, we can see evidence of um, other gravitational bodies outside of our universe. So, and that's just one of a couple of ways, or several ways, but it looks like we do not exist in just the only universe that's here. Now, people are using the word quantum as kind of a shorthand to mean a multitude of things. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, a quantum means the smallest possible measurement of a piece of reality. Right. 
original idea, exactly. So how is it being used in the expanded sense? Well, the expanded sense is what does it mean to be that quantum particle that when you, um, it is indivisible, and so it is like the basic building, quote unquote, block of nature. The trouble is it's not always there. Sometimes that quantum particle is not there. And so this is what quantum computers are being built on. We really have entered the quantum age because we have um, computers that can sit in a room now that can hold that superposition of states. They can be true and false at the same time. They can be spinning one way and the other at the same time. So this is, these are quantum effects. And this is a big shock that happened about almost 100 years ago, a little more than 100 years ago, when these very strange behaviors of the quantum realm were first observed. They're strange in the sense that such things had not been officially noticed in our regular microscopic reality. However, I would put forward that a lot of intuitive people have been aware of things like synchronicity and so forth for much longer than just the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so we, we do see evidence of quantum effects all the time if you know what to look for. But scientifically, it's um, been a very challenging period of time, this last hundred years, to study things that are very strange to us, that, that, that actually defy even a regular way of studying things scientifically. So it's difficult for us to have a, a uh, an observer, for example, that does not mess with the experiment. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have the observer there is making a difference in the experiment, which we usually would think with most science before the quantum period that uh, that would not ever happen. But it's very much a standard process, and it's expected to happen when you run a quantum experiment. So the practical uh, hypothesis exactly why do we care? Why do we care? Okay, we care because uh, this is very exciting. Uh, the fact that we live in this wonderful universe that's connected to many other parallel universes. So it's not disconnected, it's not operating all on its own. Instead, uh, or you can think of it as every time you make a choice, you can literally jump to another reality. And sometimes you can feel when that's happening. You can feel that moment when you decide, you know what, I am going to get out of bed right now. I mean, it can be a simple decision. It doesn't have to be something world-shaking. Or you can decide, I am going to apply for that job. It's, you can think of it as an act of will and then taking action on that decision. So anytime you have that kind of a quantum jump of awareness of another possibility that suddenly feels possible, and you've got that lack of energy that goes with it, and this is where it's very analogous to an actual quantum jump the way physicists have always talked about it, where you go from one phase state to another, there's a burst of energy, and a quantum particle can jump from one level of excitation to another, we can get excited too. You know, people can feel that buzz of energy and make that jump. And it's this is really the key to the whole book, Quantum Jumps, is just realizing that if you have a sense of wanting to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, there are a lot of proven scientific experiments that show 
and they're laboratory tested, that you can make that quantum jump by just doing a simple exercise. This book has dozens of them that usually just take a minute or two. So you can uh, suddenly cheer yourself up, give yourself a burst of willpower, uh, just a whole bunch of things that you might need to be able to do. Get smarter, be more emotionally understanding, feel better connected to the people in your life. Uh, so what I've done is I've taken not just the science of the fact that you can do these quantum jumps, but I've also um, just gone from there and taken another big jump forward and got chapters full of quantum jump starts. So you can actually really take this to the next level and start seeing where you'd like your life to go. So we have had many guests on the show and there are many, many, many books that come across my desk that talk about synchronicities and about visualizations and about positive thinking. Now, it seems to me that what you're doing with your book is actually providing the scientific theory behind how and why this all works and, dare I say, how to make it work better? Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to summarize it. I, I, that's a really wonderful way to put that in perspective because I do start out with a chapter that dives right into the physics and if people feel like, oh gosh, I don't want to read that part, well then skip the first chapter. <laughs> but for people that want to know, like what is quantum? You know, what does quantum jump mean? What's going on with the science behind it? Why can you be so certain right now that we're living in the quantum age? How can you possibly understand these things unless you, you know, kind of read that kind of information and I've done my best to make it fun so I think of it a lot like you don't need to be a quantum mechanic to enjoy the benefits of quantum jumping just like you don't need to be an automotive mechanic to enjoy driving your car but um, very much like driving a car the skills that are described in quantum jumps basically take you from shifting gears going from like first gear and shifting through that neutral phase where all things are possible and then connecting up to the next energy level, the second gear, and so on and so forth. So I like that car analogy because it really is like going into a state of meditation or lucid dreaming, which are two of the techniques that really work wonders when people want to make that kind of a jump. You need to change um, your attachment to what you might think of as a locked-in reality just like gears in a car. So, and I describe the science of that and why it looks so certain right now that we do live in a holographic multiverse. Uh, this is the key to the whole thing, just recognizing, okay, so if we really are living in a holographic multiverse and we really can jump from one reality to another, and I've got examples in the book of people that have had amazing spontaneous remission of not just disease but also broken bones, We've literally seen an oncoming car go right through their car and just skip over the whole crash experience. Mm -hmm. So they didn't crash at all. These are the kind of things that people have been sharing stories like this with me for 13 years. And what I'm doing with this book now is, is basically showing all of us can have these experiences. In fact, most of us are. You know, recognizing what's going on is the first step. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband is a hypnotherapist and... He has had clients where in a uh, waking state they have um, uh, uh, terrible allergies 
And in hypnosis, he takes them to another state and they breathe freely. You know, they're, they're totally different. So um, when we talk about uh, the mind creating our reality, we're actually saying something that is very, very true. Um, you use the term anchoring ourselves into a given reality through the use of our mind. So by releasing that, it is perfectly plausible that we could move into, uh, you know, it's like we're a free-floating balloon. We can move into any other reality of our choosing. Yes, and that, that can be scary for some people. I Personally, when I hear that, I think, yay! But there are people who hear exactly what we just said and think, oh my goodness, you know, that doesn't sound safe. What are the you know controls on this whole thing? It sounds like it could go wildly wrong, and and that's why I really like to keep asking that question that you mentioned at the beginning: How good can it get? And really, let that be your primary central focus in life, so that rather than and, and the whole book is written that way. I, mm-hmm. I don't have pages going into what could go wrong because there's really no advantage in dwelling on that. In fact, I instead describe science as showing the advantages of focusing on what's going right and why it really makes a difference as well as uh, and and this is not just one study this is an exciting book for me because it's packed with scientific studies showing amazing things i mean there's so many uh i I could give you a few examples yeah make people's heads spin Uh, some of the most interesting research that i include has to do with the placebo effect and i don't mean just from sugar pills or just from surgery a lot of people hear about that i also include putting on the right kind of um, gear so that you're dressed as if you have the qualities that you subconsciously expect. Now, these are not hypnotized people, but the uh, experiments were conducted in which a certain group of people were placed in a cockpit of an airplane that had a working flight simulator. They were wearing uh, the, the correct garb and outfits and costumery that you would expect a pilot to wear, and they just ran through some simulations and then they had an eye test before and after. And what happened is there was a huge improvement in people's visual acuity, something like you know, 25 to 40% visual improvement for the group that was really behaving as if they were pilots compared to a group of people that sat in something that looked like an airplane cockpit, but it had kind of a broken simulator, so they could kind of push the knobs and push the dials so that it really didn't feel real. <laughs> You know, and they're not dressed exactly like pilots. So, very interesting kind of a study there. It was an unexpected outcome because nobody was told officially this is a visual study and you, you should expect to receive an, you know, a boost in your visual abilities. This is just a sort of a subconscious bias that most people have. That if you're sitting in a cockpit, you're expected to do things, then you're doing them. So, uh, that's one really interesting study. There's another one that I think was a real mind bender for me and that had to do with looking at uh, this is a longitudinal study and young people were asked before they had even reached middle age or old age they were just asked to write down what they thought about old people you know what do they think about people who are elderly and the folks that wrote down things like well they're weak they they're um they have health problems you know they, they tend to fall down they're not so smart they're you know they're kind of mm-hmm. doddering um, 
and they kind of die. You know, people don't really make it past their 60s. That's exactly what happened to that group of people. It, it, it blew scientists' minds. The other group were people that were um, saying things like, well, when you get older, you're respected, you're wise, you're healthy, you're vibrant, you're able to really enjoy your life to the fullest, life keeps on going, you know, you can live to a ripe old age in your late 90s, maybe hundreds, and that's what happened to that group of people. So if wow. they thought that their vision would go, their vision went. If they thought they'd break bones, they broke bones. It was really weird. So the scientists were looking at that like, what the heck? It, that was an unexpected finding. And so, so there are so many examples in this book about just um, things that we don't even think are making a difference in our lives are making a huge difference. And so it's possible by just fine-tuning a few things to get a huge improvement in life satisfaction, to be a happier individual and really feel like things are going your way much more. Have you had any personal experiences with this? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, um, I described some in the book. There was one time when I was in college, and I was really sick, but it, it was my final exam for a statistics class. I knew I had to go. I thought, well, I probably won't sneeze or cough on anyone. I'll just bring the box of Kleenex. I'll wear a heavy coat, and I can't focus anyway. I'll just try to do my best with the test, and at least I won't completely fail the class. Well, anyway, I, but because I was thinking that I'm going to do my best, and I was in some strange state, I think it was meditation, I, I just was not really in a normal conscious state at all. So I think I was directly accessing the answers. Where I'm going with this is I got a perfect score on a statistics exam, and I was seriously questioned by my instructor. I'd always gotten good grades, but she said, nobody gets a perfect <laughs> on my exam. <laughs> and I thought, I was feverish. I was in the fog. I was, I don't know. You, know. you were in an alternate reality. <laughs> wow. Exactly. And, and, and that's not the only time that this sort of thing has happened. I've since heard from other people, when, when they get into that meditative, feverish state, you can really kind of zone in. You can, you can zoom in and, and exactly see things more uh-huh. clearly. Right. Now, you, you have a newsletter called Reality Shifters, appropriately enough. Tell us about it. Okay, this is a newsletter where I share each month real-life experiences from people around the world that notice things appear, disappear, transform, and transport, and changes in the experience of time. So this is where I've been collecting information about the wonderful assortment of metaphysical phenomena, including synchronicity and remission and placebo effect, all these topics for uh, 13 years now. And it's a free newsletter. It's got book reviews, scientific articles are mentioned, and what people really love are these real-life experiences that people like to share. So that's available through my realitysisters.com website. And they can just go there and sign up for it. Exactly. And I've also got a Facebook page and Twitter and YouTube. All those good things. Well, my goodness, we have been speaking with Cynthia Sue Larson, the author of Quantum Jumps, an extraordinary science of happiness and prosperity. Cynthia, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You'll find all the books we discuss on our website and lots more at ncreview.com. Well, I hope you'll join us next week when our guest will be Mal Warwick. He's talking about his new book, A Business Solution to Poverty. Important stuff. Well, that's our show for this week. Until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. 
Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to NCR Radio. If you missed any of Miriam's shows, you can find them on demand any day and time on her show page. You can also download podcasts to your iPhone and take these inspiring shows with you wherever and whenever you like. If you have a question or comment for Miriam, you can follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash ncrreview. That's facebook.com slash ncrreview. Be sure and join us next week for more passionate and exciting guests on NCR.